of pockets of a beer or a cold libation. I can tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start off with some talking and some moody clips of popcorn, fighting fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and of course you know what's all about games. I said slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Recording in the car on the way to work today. Sorry for any road noises. Today, I need to issue an apology. We're going to try to turn around the podcast a little bit, change up a little bit on how the podcast is done. Plus, we're going to do a light RPG review. So, you have all that to look forward to. Strap into your seats. It's about to get real. Okay, let's start with the apology. I need to apologize to Taylor from Cleric Square Ringmail. Last episode, he called in a defense of Conan's actions in the story of Frost Giant's daughter. And it was a valid defense. And, and I didn't even argue with or disagree with the defense for that story last episode. But I was a little aggressive towards Taylor. I told people if they didn't agree to call into his show, mainly because I didn't want to get a bunch of calls about people saying how Conan was lecherous and rapey, because Conan is kind of lecherous and rapey in a lot of stories. In fact, I gave a reading from Red Nails where, you know, he, he is that way. And, and I even, you know, said he was rapey AF in that episode. Wow. I'm talking like a teenage girl AF. <laughs> anyway, I, I was way too aggressive towards Taylor in that. And I want to apologize to Taylor. It's not fair to him. I want to get all kinds of calls. I want to receive the feedback. I want to have this dialogue back and forth. But that requires two things. I can't be adversarial towards my callers. You know, this isn't the Jerry Springer show, but it's turned into the Jerry Springer of Anchor Podcasting, and that needs to change. The other thing that needs to happen is callers can't attack my audience. Callers can't attack other podcasters or other callers. I've had to ban one caller because of that, and... There are other calls that may or may not get played because of that. So as long as you're not attacking people or demeaning other real people in your call, I want to play your call. I want to have the conversations. And we can have the hard conversations as long as we do it respectfully. And that requires me to be respectful as well. So Taylor, I'm sorry I wasn't overly respectful. And folks, to defend Taylor and defend that point of view for the Frost Giant's daughter, I have a call from Conan Scholar, Howard, Howard Scholar, Joe Salvador of Raven Guy Games. Let's hear that now. Hey, Jason, it's Joe. Uh, just calling in in reference to Taylor's reading of the Frost Giant's daughter. And really just to say that I think it's a, a solid take. Um, it's, a, it's one that I've had myself in the past. Um, and it's kind of the way that I understand the story now. Um, it's a tale that I've probably read a score of times or more. Um, and certainly my my reading of it has changed over time, right? Um, yeah, there's certainly a uh, sort of like a face value reading that, you know, would denote that it's basically a story about um, 
you know, a young man bent on assaulting a woman. Um, and nobody should be blamed for reading it that way because that's how it's presented. Um, I think there's a bit more to it than that. And I can't deny the story is also about Conan's, you know, barbaric nature, his ferocity, his sort of savage manliness, at least the way that uh, Howard presents it, right? Even even to the point that it's it's that very uh, barbaric will to survive that he has that uh, allows him to survive the story, right? Um, but there is something else going on. And what's interesting to me is that there's, there's a hard break in the story that a shift, right? That, you know, Howard himself kind of passes over and Conan in the story also passes over. And I think that a lot of readers pass over, but it's actually, I think, pretty important. Um, and if we go back to the Conan episode that you did, I mentioned in my, you know, in my take on that, that Conan fought giants uh, at the edge of reality is what I think I said. Um, and there's a, there's a tale, I should say, there's a passage in this tale uh, that denotes that. Um, basically, Conan is dazed or whatever from battle um, and, quote, a silvery, silvery laugh cut through his dizziness and his sight cleared slowly. He looked up. There was a strangeness all about the landscape that he could not place or define an unfamiliar tinge to earth and sky, uh, end quote. Um, so we get this shift, right? Like Conan is going from the normal to the weird. Um, and I think, I think that gets missed sometimes. But um, like I said, Howard passes over it um, and Conan passes over it because suddenly this beautiful woman's there in front of him. Um, and Howard pre proceeds to describe Atali in, to my mind, magical terms. Um, quote, her voice is more musical than a silver stringed harp, end quote. Uh, her locks blind Conan with their brightness. Her eyes were scintillant. To me, uh, these kinds of phrases and words are denoting her supernatural nature. Um, Conan is spellbound by her. Right? It's it's in the story, spellbound. Um, it's kind of kind of telling you a little bit. Um, but then uh, you know, uh, she taunts him. He chases her. They meet the brothers, and she tells them, "I have brought you a man to slay." Basically, telling us that she intended for him to chase her, right? Assuming that the chase would weaken him and slay him, even. But it's his. Like I said, his barbaric nature that surprises her. That's what makes her fearful, right? Like he's not stopping. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there is something else going on there. Uh, and it's clearly, you know, there's something supernatural. He's under a spell or an enchantment. It's not only his, you know, rapiness or whatever that's, that's uh, coming to the fore. Uh, and I'm not going to downplay that i mean you hit you hit it right on the nail with red nails actually uh that that's pretty rapey um and i mean there's a 
uh, there's a counter argument here to say that, well, why wouldn't Atali just end the enchantment? But I would, out to that, I would just say it's not a game of D and D. It's, it's a story. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into a second message here, I think. But um, yeah, I just feel like there's a deeper reading to this story that sometimes gets missed. Yeah, so whenever I think of the Frost Giant's daughter. Um, another story comes to mind, uh, the glamor of the snow by Algernon Blackwood. Um, and I had, I had always assumed that, that Howard had been inspired by that story, but according to his own words in letters written to HP Lovecraft, uh, Howard had never read any of Blackwood's work, uh, which is kind of a surprise because there are some, some clear similarities between the stories. Um, most notably, the antagonist of each one is basically like a siren type creature, a nymph or what have you, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, can enchant mortals. Uh, but I think that's another story that, that might be worth a read for some folks. Anybody really is interested in the pulps. Um, but anybody is also uh, interested in a, maybe a different take on the Frost Giant's Daughter. Uh, read the two together um, and see what you come away with. Uh, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just a Conan apologist and um, full of it, but I do. I, I don't know. I just, uh, I guess I agree with, with what Taylor was saying. There's a deeper read to the story. Um, yeah. So anyway, I've, I'm certain that I've blathered on quite enough. Uh, I'll chat with you guys later. Cheers. Joe, thank you for that call. And I think the, the thing is, you know, first off, Conan's a story. You know, these are fictional stories. But the other thing is, just because we like a character doesn't mean we have to enjoy every aspect of that character. And we don't have to agree with every aspect of a character to enjoy those stories or read those stories. You know, Conan lives in hard times, and hard times require hard heroes. That doesn't defend his actions, but we never, and to be fair, Conan has urges. I think that's fairly indisputable. People can dispute them, but Conan has some urges and he, you know, voices those urges, but we never actually see him act on those urges, do we? So I don't know. But again, you don't have to agree with every aspect of your hero to, of a story to enjoy reading the story. So I, I don't think it's a big problem, but I did need to issue this apology and I appreciate Joe. I appreciate Joe calling in to help defend that point of view. So, what are we going to do to turn the show around? Well, I already talked about what I'm going to do for calls in the future. You know, as long as we're not insulting the listeners and we're not insulting other callers, I'm happy to play your calls and we will have discussions and we can have discussions on the hard things. I am going to work actively to be less aggressive towards callers, be more respectful. Sundays are going to be a short episode every Sunday. I hope to release a System Sunday episode where I look at a system, bring something new to folks, a product to folks' attention. I did Aether Jammer this past Sunday, and I am going to do that for other products here in the future. On the other podcasts are going to come out on Tuesdays and Fridays, hopefully. That's my plan. Now, you know, we best laid plans of mice and men. But my plan is to have a short podcast on Sunday, doing just a system review, and then Tuesday and Friday 
will be a, the standard variety show where I talk about a variety of things, have calls, all that kind of thing. That's my plan going forward. The other plan I have is hopefully to get calls about this pirate contest. I've only got six calls for the pirate contest so far. Come on, folks. Your, your chances of winning are huge. And the contest is about to end. You have to get your entries in by the end of the day Friday, September 16th. That's the Friday, that's the week that this episode is dropping. So give me those calls on your favorite pirate media. It could be a game, it could be a movie, it could be a, a song, a book, a board game, any kind of pirate media. Call in, let us know what your favorite pirate media is, and your name will go in the hat. I'm going to draw the name out of the hat. We'll announce the winner after, you know, in the award episode where we play all the entries. The winner is going to get a $20 drive through RPG gift certificate. And then I'll also donate money to a charity that I coordinate with the winner to pick. So it's a win-win situation. I really want to hear what your favorite pirate media is. Please call in. Again, the 16th of September, 2000, uh, or 2022, this Friday, as this episode drops, is the cutoff. So get those entries in, folks. Now, I promised you a, a review of role-playing games. So let's get to it. I want to talk to you today about a game called Blue Shadows and Boogeymen. It comes from our friends over at Beetlenut Games. Beetlenut Games has a number of interesting products that are free. There's a link to their homepage in the show notes. Go check it out. Lots of neat stuff. Again, we're just going to concentrate on this. And... Blue Shadows and Boogeymen is described as a rules-light, spooky Western role-playing game. You can play it as a Weird West game, or you can play it as a straight Western. It works fine either way. It's based on Nate Tremay's excellent tunnel, groon, tunnel goons. Sorry, can't talk. Too much to drink tonight. And, uh, as you can tell, I'm not in the car as I record this. The rest of the episode is recorded in the car. This game just does a bunch of things right. One thing it does right is it separates the player's handbook and the game master handbook. And this game is perfect for conventions or for one-shots. The player's guide is four pages total. So you could take a regular sheet of paper, fold it in half, print it, so the four sheets, you know, the four pages are on that one fold in half piece of paper, and give that to each player at the table. And, I'm a, and I'll talk about the GM handbook here in a second, but let's go over the player's guide. So the player's handbook, the first page is character creation. In character creation, you can pick a name, pick a profession. You start with 10 health, 10 health points. You have 8 points for inventory and different things You know, have different bulk, so they take up different amounts of your inventory. Attributes, you have strength, agility, brains, and presence. There are rules here for both where you allot points, or there's rules to ro randomly roll your points, which is nice. You have skills. You get two skills. Skills range from things like Deadeye and Fan the Hammer to Pickpocket and Guitar and Singing to Tracking. A, a variety of skills here to cover different healing. You have a dock, which gives you some heal rolls. So lots of different options in the skills. They're, the number of language you have is based on your brains. 
kit, you're going to start with a basic kit, and then you get to pick three more items, and they have the items and weapons you can pick from, which is nice. Then we go to the second page, and the second and third page talk about rules. The second page is the core rules of the game. The third page are optional rules. And then the fourth page is the character sheet. And, and really, that's all the characters need, right? So let's talk about the character sheet for a second because it's set out so well. You got a big section of the character sheet that has where your attributes, it's got your name, profession, all that kind of stuff. And then you have a place for a character portrait. You have the odds for 2D6. This is a 2D6 game. Like I say, it's based on Tunnel Goons. If you're playing a game with percentile dice, you know what the odds are. But 2D6, who knows what the odds are to roll 9? Well, this is a handy chart from 2 to 12 to tell you what all the odds are. The chance to roll 9 is 27.78%. So this is actually really helpful. I really like that that's on there. The other thing that's on here that I like is the context-sensitive cowboy code ethics and then some other thoughts to ha how to help you play in genre. And, and that's really nice to have. So if somebody sits down, they can read over that and get their mind around what kind of game that you're looking to play. So let's go back to the rules a little bit. Basically, in this game, you roll 2d6, you add your attribute. If your profession applies, you might add your profession, and you're trying to be difficulty number. The standard difficulty is 8, and then, you know, there's also rules for easier or harder difficulties. If you're doing a combat check, then the difference between your roll and the difficulty score is the amount of damage you do. But for me, I like a Western, any game with guns, I, I think you should be able to kill somebody with one shot with guns. And this game allows that. Because guns and some other attacks are going to hit certain locations. There's a hit location chart in here. It's a 2D6 chart. And it's really neat because the first number tells you where you hit. The head, the torso, the gun arm, the off arm, the right leg or the left leg. And the second number tells you the severity of the hit. Well, you can add your agility score to either number you pick. So you can pick if you want your agility to go towards the hit location or towards the severity of the hit. And both the head and the torso give, give chances for that one-shot kill, which, which, again, I really like in a Western. Um, there's rules for called shots in here. Um, they have rules for different ranges, things like that. The optional rules, they give you rules for poker, how to break poker down into just simple die roll, which is nice. They have showdown rules for, you know, that classic gunfight where you're, you're out there and they're staring each other down. They have rules for that. There's some basic rules for psychic abilities. Like I say, you can play this as a Weird West game. You don't have to. They talk about weapon types. And that's pretty much all that's in the player's guide because that's all the players need. If we go to the GM guide, the first two pages of the GM guide are just the standard rules and the optional rules again. But then we get into the rest of the stuff for the GM. We get into basically a, a, a bestry, a, mo a little monster manual with people, with normal animals, and we get with cryptoids and, and monsters, so you can play those. There's a section on different plot ideas, so if you're going to just run this improv, give you some ideas for that. Then there's one, two, three, four, five, six, six pages of basically grids so you can draw a little map. And then at the bottom of that page are where you can note down NPC information. So what this does is it gives you, if you're running this convention, you can just print off this one GM guide 
and you can put down what you need for each scene right there and you can and you have all you need to run the scenario right inside this gem guide and you just print a new one up you know for each convention or whatever so that's nice it's got a copy of the character sheet in here again which you probably don't need in the gem guide but it doesn't hurt and then they have something i really appreciate narrative elements for the gm and it and this is broken down to like the kind of people that are in town the kind of places that are in town things that might be near town different names of different kinds of crimes in the old west adventure hooks so if you and i always like to have these word lists these narrative word lists so you know if you draw a blank you can look at the list and just grab something out so you can keep the keep the story going keep the adventure going and then at the end there's a price list of average prices in 1880 so it it's kind of bare bones but it gives you everything you need to run a short western game there's not any rules in here really for advancement or anything like that but this is mainly for one shots or pickup games and i think it and i mean it's a free game so we, you know you can't really complain and i think this is actually really well done for a pickup game or a one shot game i i think these this rule set would work really well it looks like it would play really fast and i'm going to give it a shot at some point and then i'll report back but yeah, Blue Shadows and Boogeyman. I think you should check it out and give it a chance. And everything is in the show notes. So check it out. Okay, I do have one call that I'm going to play. This is from Carl Rodriguez of The Geomologist Presents. It's kind of in reaction to when I talked about a recent ICRPG Vigilante City game. Sadly, Carl's schedule doesn't let him join that game. Carl's played games with us before. Now, Carl's going to talk about an incident that happened during a Barbarian's Lemuria game that Eric Salzweedle, the 3D Omega Chicken Coop, was in, and Joe Richter of Hindsightless was in. Arlen Walker from Live Pearls Wasteland was also in that game. But So when he's saying Eric, he's referring to Eric from the Omega 3D Chicken Coop. So let me play Carl's call. Hey Jason, this is Carl calling um, about your recap episode, recap and mailbag. I really it seems that you enjoyed Vigilante City. It's too bad I run games on the Thursdays now, um, and I can't join you because I have my home group. But uh, maybe I'll look. I think I have. I'm pretty sure I have Vigilante City. I think that's what is that the Runehammer um, Index RPG. I think I have that. Anyway, I'll have to check it out. I mean, I know I, I was talking about a lot about champions, and uh, I think champions are a really fun and easy system to play. It's just there's a lot of investment and in, in time in building of a character, setting up the world, and it would seem to be more fun to have like a balance. I promise I won't be a spear-wielding hunter in Vigilante City. This is directed towards Eric Salzweedle, so we don't get into long arguments about whether you can stab something on your spear a la Bishop from Aliens. Um, maybe with a knife would be a better chance of doing that and not with an unwieldy spear. So, um, yep, maybe I could be, be the spear hand. I'll be the spear hand who stabs his hand with a spear and then he um, uses, shoots blood out of it. Yep, maybe something like that. That'll be my hero, Spearhand. 
interesting character concept. Uh, you have to run that by the GM. Eric's running it. So, yeah, ICRPG Vigilante City is the Runehammer ICRPG version of Bloat Games' Vigilante City. And, you know, the advantage of it is we're playing late at night on a weeknight, two-hour time blocks. So Vigilante City with ICRPG is a fairly light system. It lets us get in there, play the game, have fun without all that crunch and all that mechanical building that's required in some of the heavier games, which is nice. It, you know, the lightness of the system has nothing to do with how complex the world is. So Eric can still run a really interesting world, detailed world, but he doesn't have to worry about all the building everything mechanically. So that's a big plus for that game. And it's a lighter hearted game, which is nice. So really enjoying that. And again, if anybody's free on Thursdays, reach out. Maybe you can join us for that game. So what else are we going to do today? The last thing I'm going to do today is hopefully not crash as I weave between tractor trailers trying to get to my exit. But I'm going to talk about why She-Hulk is done correctly for the Marvel Universe. She-Hulk, the Disney show, is caught a lot of flack. And I'm not giving spoilers for it. But the way they're doing the comedy and the satire and the thing in She-Hulk works. Where what they did with Thor, Love and Thunder, doesn't work. The problem with Thor and Love and Thunder is they took whole pieces of canon and whole, you know, like the way gods work in the Marvel Universe or the way magic works in the Marvel Universe and threw it away for a one, a one-liner joke. You know, Taika Waikiti kind of wiped his butt with a Marvel canon to make jokes, which I really like Thor Love and Thunder. I think it's a fun movie, but I don't think it's a good Marvel Universe movie where She-Hulk can do these kind of things but be a good Marvel Universe movie. Or show, I mean. It, it, it's much more like the comic books and the way you do comedy in a comic book that still keeps continuity for the universe where Thor Love and Thunder ruins universe continuity. So I think that's what She-Hulk does right. That's my hot take. You can disagree. Feel free to call in. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you to all my callers. Thank you to Ray Otis for the coffee cup clip art, even though I used a picture of Jerry Springer today. Thank you to TJ Drennan for the music. And be excellent to one another. Joking about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustbin in your moil's body zipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away. Don't look away. Don't look away. Don't look away. Well, the zombies are rising, and the world's gone to hell. We're living for the dying, and we're dying for the train wreck.